All right. Happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah is here. Uh, and boy, do we need Hanukkah. You know, a lot of, uh, I think a lot of people are feeling kind of dark. And um, Hanukkah brings a lot of actual light and spiritual light and all kinds of great things. So we're just very excited. Hanukkah's here. And we uh, hope to really, really capitalize on Hanukkah more than ever. Now, this week's Parsha, Parsha's Vayeshev, it's interesting, you know, the way the Jewish calendar falls out, the way it was uh, ordained by God was that uh, the weekly Torah portions are, are always come out very interestingly uh, apropos with the holidays. And this week's poor portion and next week's poor Torah portion um, are, are, no, uh, are no different in that regard. And there's definitely some very striking Hanukkah messages uh, in this week's Parsha. So this uh, Parsha really starts the saga of, um, of Yosef. You got basically Yosef the next four weeks. That's, he's the main character, segueing really full-fledged into the Jewish people's uh, history here. So in chapter 37, verse 11, we have Yaakov just, he finally got away from his father-in-law, and then he, um, and then he gets to uh, to his brother, and now he's hoping he's he's finally he's back to living with his father Isaac, and he's back in the land of Israel, and he's hoping to uh, you know he's getting old he wants to just take it easy a little bit. And uh, what does the Torah say? That uh, that wasn't meant to be. That wasn't what his purpose in life was to take it easy. And what happens? It says, verse 11. Have I got the right verse? Oh, okay. It's actually verse 1. That it says that Yaakov dwelled in the land of his fathers, in the land of Canaan. And, you know, Yaakov could have ducked away from the new challenges, but he didn't. And in fact, the Midrash says that uh, Yaakov could be compared to one who's stuck amongst a band of wild dogs. And instead of running away, which is just going to push off the inevitable because the dogs would, would, would catch up, that's not what he does. What he does is he, um, he, uh, he sits down in the middle of the dogs, which is the best thing to do, apparently. I don't know much about what you do when you get, when you get attacked by dogs. But you... Um, you uh, you sit apparently Medrash says you sit down, and that's the best thing to do. That's what he does. And uh, many of the uh, philosophical philosophical Musar commentaries, they Rabbi Levovitz, the Emrayemis, the Gerarabba, they all they give the the analogy to what to, to someone who doesn't do this, with a little bit of a comical uh, parable. Let's say you have a movie theater or a, a show theater, uh, you know, a live show, like Trinity Rep. And what do you do? Uh, and uh, you, you have a little cafe that people sit at in front of this un, until the show starts. Well, one lady was sitting there in the, uh, in the cafe, and then the, she, everyone gets up, and they go into the theater, and, then you, and the show is about to start. And the, uh, the barista, someone says to, to, the, the, to this woman, you know, you should go in. Well, the show is starting. 
She's like, you know what? I'm not going to go in now. I'm going to go in. It's too crowded now. There's a lot. There's a lot of people in there. And obviously, she missed the show. She missed the show. So uh, you're. So we we all know how how absurd that would be to not go into the theater because it's too full now. I'm going to go after when everything's gone. So that's that's what uh, that's what Yaakov did. Yaakov, yes, he did want to kind of take it easy, but he saw they 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 were challenges, and there was no use. And uh, running away from them, the most productive thing will be to just embrace them and do the best he can. So moving along, so we have this whole story we'll get into you know, with the, you know which which Broadway is made famous. Yosef's brothers, they're jealous of him. They don't like him. It's a very complicated story. There seems to be some major uh, uh, philosophical disagreement, not just low level bickering. And he, uh, what does he do? Uh, they, they, first they got to kill him, and then Yehuda suggests, he's the leader of the brothers, he suggests, you know, why don't we sell him? Now, ultimately, even though they didn't kill him, it was very tragic. It was very sad. Their father thought he was dead. He was gone. And the brothers at, afterwards were having a little bit of regret, and they were a little bit upset at their leader, their brother Yehuda. And in fact, the Torah says, in a certain sense, after this, for at least temporarily, after the episode of the, bro- of the brothers selling Yosef, Yehuda is a little bit demoted in, his, in the eyes as, uh, as the leader. And he actually takes a break. He goes and, and he, he's, not, he's not living with the rest of his family. So Rashi says the reason why was because the brothers were a little bit upset. They said, you know, you were the leader. If you would have told us to just stop and not do it, we would have listened. So Rabbi Yeruchim Levavitz, great uh, sage from the past century, he says that, you know, it's not like he didn't do anything. You know, they were going to kill him, and he stopped them from killing him. He really did do something significant. But the Chavetz Chaim says that there always there will always come a time, either in this world or the next world, when people who you could have helped or you could have influenced will come to you and be a little bit uh, upset. I'll be a little bit little bit upset that you know you you weren't maybe maybe I was underprivileged or I was undereducated, and you. You know, you had it. You had a certain amount of influence on me, and you didn't do it. It's a very, very scary thought. Everyone uh, has is people that they influence, and in, in either in subtle ways or bigger ways. And I think I thought this is a real good lesson with Hanukkah, because you know the Maccabees slash the Hasmonean Chashmonaim family. You know, they could have said that. You know, they were a very, very small group. It was just a just a family, really when they started and at their biggest point they weren't that big of a group you know each one of the wars were incredibly miraculous there was a lot of guerrilla warfare and ultimately uh they could have said you know maybe maybe uh maybe we can't influence everybody let's just live our life in the caves and hopefully this will pass eventually but could you imagine if they would have said that we wouldn't have had hanukkah who knows if judaism would be the way it is today in all likelihood or not so that's uh, one of the big lessons we learned from this week's Parsha, and it's uh, certainly relevant uh, with Hanukkah.
Fast forward, Yosef is sold to a group of uh, people of Arab descent, and he's sold from one group to the next. And finally, he gets past hands. He ends up in Egypt. Long story, the uh, wife of the, of, the, of the house that he's, uh, he's uh, hired to live in is a little bit of a uh, crook, and she uh, wants to uh, Yosef to be with her, and he, he, he keeps turning her down, and she just gets him in trouble and gets him put in jail. He goes into jail, and obviously he wasn't too happy himself being in jail, but he walks in one day and he sees that there's a the, the royal baker and the royal butler were in there for whatever uh reasons they got at, ended up in jail and he sees that they're not very happy and the torah takes a precious verse and says to them and yosef says to them why why the long faces today and we uh the uh the talmud and the commentators learn when we see that it's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah if you have the ability to cheer someone up, to cheer them up. And one of the main ways, the Gemara and Yuma, the Talmud says that if a person, Daiga Belevish, if a person has a worry in their heart, tell it to someone else. It's a famous psychological thing, we know. But uh, people pay hundreds of dollars now to go to therapists for someone to listen to them. But the Torah years ago said, you know, you really you shouldn't have to. You know, obviously, there are certain uh, professional techniques that a therapist could provide. But a lot of what a therapist provides is supposed to be provided by your friends and family. The Torah says if, if you see someone, everyone's supposed to look out for each other and try to, uh, to raise people's spirits. And one of the main ways is that a person, if a person has someone to, who will listen to them. And, and the Rabbi Shol Salatzer, and this is talked about by everybody, they said there's three things, and again, I'm sure this is all corroborated with modern uh, learning, but it's always incredible how you see these things, the uh, things that uh, we maybe were first kind of articulating today uh, have, have, have been around for a very, very long, long time. So there's three things they say in the in the Torah commentaries that happen when a person shares their worries with others. The first is just the very fact that you share it, it relieves some of the strain. Just nothing happened, nothing practical, just the activity of actually sharing it um, is uh, takes care of some of the pain. Number two, it actually helps you clarify your perspective Often a tremendous amount of the worry and the stress is just an outlook, and you, you speak it out, it, it, it gives you perspective. And thirdly, it actually can sometimes actually, when you speak it out, you can perhaps come up with, it, with a solution. You can figure away a way to alleviate, to make it not as bad. And there's so many stories. This fact is that there's a sad story about this. There's actually a true story, but I saw it that... Um, um, somebody uh, held someone up at gunpoint and sat there for an hour at gunpoint and just was telling the person their woes. And then after the woes were over, the person put away the gun. And he said, I'm really sorry to scare you, but I've been trying for weeks to get someone to listen to me. 
So I had to I had to do this. And obviously, that's inappropriate. But we see how uh, how dire uh, the need can be, and how great of a of a gift. You know, people sometimes you know if you don't have money, you don't have certain talents, certain assets, certain connections. People feel can feel like, oh, what can I contribute to help other people? Well, that that's a huge thing. That's a huge, huge thing, and um, it's, it's just incredible uh, how much you can give to someone by doing that. There's a story um, with Rabbi Solanter, the great uh, founder of the Muslim movement. So one time there, there was a young man who had just lost a lot of money, and and, and he was in the study hall, and he was asking. Uh, he he came up with a really good question. And um, he was going around and couldn't find an answer. And, and Rabbi Yisrael Slanter came in and he went and he asked this question to Rabbi Yisrael Slanter. He said, isn't it an amazing question? Now, there are a bunch of students around there who knew that Rabbi Yisrael Slanter was a world-class scholar and he could have easily answered the question. And he didn't. He said, I'm sorry, I don't even know that. I don't know the answer. After the young man left, the students approached the great rabbi and they said, come on. Rabbi, you knew the answer. He's like, of course I know the answer. But you know how, how, much, how much he appreciated the fact that, wow, he knew a question that even the great rabbi was stumped. And you know, you see, he even deviated a little bit from, from, the, uh, from the truth there. And uh, that's how important it is and crucial it is people need uh, people to get their spirits, their spirit, their spirits lifted is a, a tremendous uh, mitzvah and important. So Napoleon was, uh, after one of his particularly victorious endeavors, he, uh, he, he's, all his generals, they threw a massive party in honor of Napoleon, in honor of the victory, and, and uh, all the uh, different generals were getting up there and trying to speak the praises and, and do, do justice to the win. And unfortunately, uh, Napoleon was getting a little bit agitated because no one was really, uh, quote unquote, doing him justice, you know, putting words to the situation to really uh, encapsulate it. And Napoleon said, this is a true story. Napoleon said, you know what? It's the middle of the night, but I want you to go get a Jewish rabbi. Jewish rabbis, they know how to speak at, at happy occasions. So middle of the night, Scared, scared the living daylights out of the rabbi. Soldiers knocked on the rabbi's door, and he's okay. Well, I can help you. He's like, and they told him the story, and he's like, okay, listen, they want me to come speak. Now he knew that you know uh, the, the Napoleon had asked for him, but that could be pretty scary also if he doesn't uh, he doesn't deliver. So he came, and he actually said an idea from this expression. In uh, chapter 40, verses 13 and, four, and 14. So, the, um, we mentioned before you have the butler and the baker from the royal baker and royal butler were in the jail with Yosef. And he they have dreams and he interprets them. And... Um, after he basically tells them that they'll be able to get out of jail and he gives them the interpretation, he says, um, for, he gives them the interpretation and then says, for only if you remember me. 
seems to be there's some sort of connection between the interpretation of the dreams and the fact that Yosef wanted them to, when they, well, at least the the one, the mother who, who would get out, he would put in a good word to Paro to let Yosef out. And the rabbi in this story explained that what Yosef was trying to, to bring home to these fellow fugitives was that, you know what, it is highly illogical, the fact that you're going to be able to be allowed back, not only be allowed out of jail, but allowed back to your job. Usually when people do uh, uh, some sort of felony in the palace, it's one and done. You're out, and even if you let out, you're certainly not going to be let back to your job because it would be to some degree like, like you know, they're admitting that they made a mistake. And um, he was trying to uh, tell them, you know, recognize this is all from God. And you know why? You're going to be let out. You're going to be let out to help me. He probably didn't do it in like a pushy way, but trying to show them how God's running the world. Said this, 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 this very wise rabbi of Napoleon, he said, Napoleon, it's incredible. All your success is unprecedented. It doesn't make any sense. Yes, you're incredible, but why are you having such success? And you know why, he said? You are getting such success because with all your success, you are being good to the Jews. You are be making safe havens for Jews to live in. And therefore, God is looking very, very happy, happily upon Napoleon and his troops because it's because of what he's doing with it. And he gave, and the rabbi said to Napoleon, you should continue in your gracious ways and your benevolence towards the Jewish people. And in that merit, you should continue being successful. And obviously, Napoleon really appreciated that and everything worked out. So the lesson for there obviously is that, you know, we see current events and really we're told that everything revolves around the Jews. Uh, Hashem manipulates the whole world to make things happen uh, because the, for the, the world's destiny is, is tied uh, with Jews' uh, destiny. So going back to the debacle with uh, they sold Yosef. Now what happened was, a little detail, is that every one of the brothers, every one of the tribes had a day or a time to study with their father Yaakov. And just so happened to be the day that this whole incident happened where they were debating to kill or sell or just let free Yosef was, was Ruben's day. It was Ruben's day. Um, and Ruben saw what, 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 what was happening. And um, he had to act fast. So he did what he said, you know what? Throw him in the pit. Ruben's plan was to come back after he finished studying. He would take him, he would save him from the pit. He comes back, he's devastated. He sees that, that the sale happened while he was gone. Yosef wasn't in the pit anymore. The Medrash says that, you know, if Ruben would have known the fact that the Torah praises him for trying to help Yosef, then what would he have done? He wouldn't have wasted any time. He wouldn't have even said, throw him in the pit. He would have taken him, thrown him on his shoulders, and run away with his brother to save him. And the Medrash continues, and he says, you know what? 
if it says anything about Aaron, about uh, the high priest Aaron Akoin, brother of Moshe, it says that he was happy for his brother. He was praised. He was happy that his younger brother became uh, became the leader. And the Medrash says, well, about Aaron, if Aaron would have known that the Torah was going to praise him, he would have made a whole to-do. And you see this in numerous places. The Midrash says that if great leaders, they would have known how nicely the Torah talks about them, they would have done an even better job. Well, on the surface, it sounds a little low, low level. You know, are, are these great men only doing things so they could be recorded in posterity as great men? Sounds kind of, that's not, that wouldn't be a compliment. And the Midrash clearly is giving a compliment. So an explanation is said. It's not that if they would have known how much, how much, uh, you know, honor they would get, they would have done things differently. It's that if they would have had the clarity. In other words, right now, the reason why Ruben didn't just save him was because it wasn't a simple situation. They really were having a real debate. They thought that Yosef was actually trying to do them all in, and they thought it was justified to kill him. And his brothers were very prestigious people. And he really wasn't, he really was, he was pretty clear it was the right thing to do, but wasn't so clear. And it's also with the other stories where these, where, where, where our great leaders seem to have had some sort of hesitance in doing the right thing. Oops. Um, but the real thing is that if they would have had the clarity, you'd do anything. And we learn from here the importance of having a clarity of philosophy, clarity in any situation, the more, when you have clarity, you're willing to just do what you gotta do. And there's really two steps there. There's one, striving to get that clarity. And two, when you have that clarity, being willing to act on it. And uh, clarity is, just, is, is the, the best way to get clarity. It's through studying wisdom, through studying Torah, the more, uh, more um, uh, wisdom you have, the more clear, clear things are, and an openness to that clarity. So we have the story with the wife of Hotifar, the wife of the head butcher. She keeps trying to seduce Yosef to, to be with her. He keeps turning her down. And finally, one day, she really gets to him, and she grabs onto his jacket, and he, he slips out of it and runs away. And the Torah says that he flees and runs outside. The Medrash says, actually, that, this, that there's a reference to this when the Jews are trying to cross the Red Sea and it's not splitting. So the, the verse says, the sea saw. The sea saw and fled. Sea saw and fled. The Medrash says, what's that referring to? It's referring to the sea saw, the, the coffin of Yosef, who fled. Now, what did he do? He did something that was above nature. It was It was not unnatural that Yosef was able to, to not be involved with this woman. And how is this alluded to? This is actually alluded to because in, in our Parsha, in our portion, there are 112 verses. 104 of those 112 have the letter Vav in front of it. A letter vav means and. The letter vav, also the word vav also means a hook. It's connected. Things make sense. Cause and effect. There are eight verses in this parsha that do not start with the word vav. Which eight is like 
eight nights of Hanukkah. Eight is eight days of, well, the eighth days of when we circumcise. Eight represents above nature. The Jewish people's natural position is above nature. We, our whole existence, everything we do, and that's something that we can, that, that certainly happened by Hanukkah. Hanukkah, one of the major energies of Hanukkah is the ability to, to, to lift yourself up, to transcend the mundane, transcend nature. And that's what, what the, uh, the miracle with the lights represents, the ability to transcend um, nature um, all the time. And certainly, certainly when, we, um, when, we, uh, when we need it. Okay, moving along over here. So we mentioned before that after this whole story with the sale, Yehuda loses a little bit of his prestige with his brothers. And what does he do? Goes, moves away. Long story what happens, but basically he marries a lady. He has two kids. Those two kids are no good nicks. They marry... The first kid marries a woman, he dies because he's not a good guy. The custom is that the, the, the widow, if, the, if there's no children, is supposed to marry next of kin. So she marries the brother. What happens next? That brother's no good guy too. He, he dies. Yehuda's getting nervous. He's got a third son. He doesn't know why everyone's dying when they're married to this lady. He's like, whoa, let's slow down here. This is not a good match. <laughs> it does not, not, I don't want my third son to die. And so he tells her, look, my son is kind of young. Come back, you know, go back, live, live with your family. Wait till my son gets a little, a little bit older, and uh, we'll see what happens. She does that. After a while, she, uh, she, this, this woman, Tamar, his daughter-in-law, realizes that uh, no one, she's they're kind, of, they're kind of a little nervous to marry her because her first two husbands died. So she does a trick. She dresses up as a prostitute, and she ends up living with Yehuda the great Yehuda, and she becomes pregnant from that, and uh, long story short, uh, she's not supposed to be pregnant. She's not, she's not supposed to be getting married to anyone outside the family, and she's actually going to be punished. Uh, she, she, has, she, has, uh, she was tried in court, and then she realizes she's got to uh, figure things out, and she's got to... Her, her father-in-law, who was one of the, was the great leader, didn't even realize that he's the one who had impregnated her. So she goes up there, and she had taken a collateral claim because she knew she wanted to be able to prove this later. And she says, whoever owns these things, he's the, he's the father of this child. Yehuda, in front of everyone, in a moment of strength, says, she is righteous, I'm not, it was me. And he totally admits it in public. And this is the feature, this is the characteristic, which is why the Jewish kings and ultimately Mashiach are going to come from Yehuda. The ability to make mistakes and be willing to own up to other people and move on. And that is the, what leaders need to do. If the leader is not willing to, to uh, take, take, take things back, to uh, move on from mistakes, to make mistakes graciously, then uh, bad news because they'll just keep watching their, their honor. And that's uh, what we learned from Yehuda, what a true, any person is, but especially a uh, a leader. You know the whole story here with 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 the brothers is is you know it's very complicated and we're told you know you can really study it forever to really understand 
what the issues were. And they weren't simple issues. It certainly was not a bunch of pettiness. And what we're supposed to, uh, one thing that we could, that we can actually learn, learn from this is that, you know, both sides thought they were right. Yosef thought he was right. Yehuda thought they were right. They all were right. And they had, maybe there were certain parts of both sides that were right. But it went very far. And it went to the point where some pretty tragic things happened. And they, they were considered tragic. And we have to be very, very wary of righteous indignation. You know, sometimes, you know, uh, a way that we can allow ourselves to get really angry, to get really involved in a situation, and we say that it's wrong, and it's, it's a very bad thing, and it's important that we talk about it and make arguments about it, and we, we kind of permit ourselves to do it in the name of, well, it's, 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 it's a morality issue. It's a it's a it's a prop a propriety issue, and there could be times and place to do that. But we have to just remember that uh, it's a very dangerous thing, very dangerous thing, but to really second guess ourselves and run it by other people to get some ob- objectivity. Two more short points. So when Yosef was struggling there with the moral dilemma, does he live with this woman? Does he not live with this woman? It's his, it's his master's wife, but she's seducing him, so it's okay. And he's got no one, there's no one, no one gonna know anyway. He's in a far off land where this is probably pretty acceptable. And the Medrash tells us that what the only thing that stopped him was the mus the yuk aviv. He kind of had like a vision, he pictured what he saw his father's face. So the classic understanding is that, well, his father was his moral compass and he remembered his father. But I heard an amazing explanation, which I believe I said earlier earlier this year in a different context. But his father was the epitome of love and belief in his his son. He would, Yosef was so secure in who he was. His Parents believed him. He believed in himself. And that's the security that he developed because he saw the beautiful, loving relationship that his mother had with his father. Yaakov and Rachel is known as the epitome of a, of a love relationship. And, and, and that's what gave him the power, the, the, the power of belief in himself and um, the, pa- the, 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 the power of, uh, of, of, of love and the power of belief in oneself and the power of just being secure and that if a person has that belief in themselves so this is an amazing lesson because you can A for yourself to know what you need that's really what you need but also what you can give to other people when you make them feel loved and make them feel secure when you when you make them feel believed in lastly this, the end of the parsha goes that uh Yosef interprets these dreams, and the ne- and they're about to be able to um, they're about to be able to go uh, to uh, Paro and to discuss the the the, uh, the dreams. And Yosef tells them, by the way, put in a good word for me. So all the commentators say we know that Yosef was about to be let out. He had been in jail for ten years, and he got two more years because. He had asked for help. All the commentaries ask famous question that, um, you know, are we supposed to work? We're not supposed to rely on miracles. 
not supposed to just sleep and say God's going to take care. You're supposed to take health precautions. You're supposed to take financial precautions. You're supposed to live in a real world and do your best and say that God can help. God could do the rest. But uh, why is Yosef held accountable? So all the commentators really say in the same way, but I think I've heard this once said over from Reb Yaakov Weinberg in, in, in a certain way or and uh, by Dessler in a little different way, that we are required to do as much work till we actually feel God by our side. If you actually already walk with God and you feel like God's right there, then you don't have to. So you have to do as much work. And here's the analogy I heard once. Let's say someone comes home and um, their mother had made a great Hanukkah dinner, Thanksgiving dinner, whatever it was, and they come in the house and uh, supper time and they're like looking in the fridge and looking around, looking online, you know, you know, maybe we can get some Uber Eats over here. And they're working really hard to figure out supper. And the mother's sitting there right there with a whole meal ready to come out. <laughs> Wait, what, what are you doing over here? There's all this food right here. Just got to take it right out. Your mother's right there. Why? Who, whoever's doing supper. And that not only is it is it inappropriate to make efforts, but but it's, it's, it's hurtful. What are you doing? It's unnecessary. So that's because we see the person. Most of us, we live in a world where we don't feel and see God, you know, that the way that we see people. And therefore, we have to do as much work till we feel like we've done our share and God's going to take over. Yosef literally walked with God. Yosef was sitting in that jail. He saw God in front of him. So it's, it, it's, 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 it's wrong. You see God right here. You have this, this butler over here, and you kind of ignore God, and you say, butler, hey, help me. When you have such a, a, a cognizance of God, then you have to live with that. So the famous story they asked of Yaakov Weinberg, uh, dean of a big yeshiva in Baltimore, one time, you know, Baltimore, so like it used to be at least, the community was very far from the yeshiva. So one time, a student was driving Rabbi Weinberg from the yeshiva into the community. And um, by each uh, stop, the light and stop signs, and then Weinberg kept asking the driver, well, why'd you stop? So because it's a red light. Well, why'd you turn? Because you got to do this. And after 10 minutes, he says, Rabbi, like, why are you... I'm just driving. And Weinberg said, you know, either you could be just driving or you could be driving with God. And if you really are driving with God, then every single thing that happens is because I want it to happen. And that's one of the big lessons we learned from Yosef, that to all of us on our own degree, we, the more we walk with God, the more we can feel his presence and, and be, uh, be helped by it. So just a quick review. We talked about how when challenges come our way, can't really, really run away from them. Got to just embrace them. We don't want to be like the lady in the restaurant who was waiting for the show to be over so there would be more room. She missed the show. We also learned the, uh, the how a person, if you have the ability to influence, you got to influence. And that was certainly 
a big thing that happened by Hanukkah. We learned about the, the imperative to help raise people's spirits, specifically in listening to people. We learned about the famous story with Napoleon and that um, if, you know, uh, current events have uh, real reasons behind them. And uh, the more bigger vision a person has, you, you, can, you can have a better understanding of the world and a more comforting understanding of why, of why things happen. We learned about how uh, when a person has clarity, that is how you're able to have the strength to do things. We learned about how the uh, ability that Yosef had was that he was able to transcend nature, lift himself above nature. That's certainly one of the energies of Hanukkah. And that's something the Jewish people in general that we have access to when we put our, our, our effort in. We learned about how true leadership and true strength is the ability to own up to things, certainly in public, embrace mistakes, and move on from them. We learned about the dangers of righteous indignation, very wary when, when, when you're fighting for something because it's right. We learned about how Yosef had the strength because he had the security and belief and the love from his father. And lastly, for tonight, we had how Yosef was held accountable because he was walking with God. And on his level, he didn't believe in trust enough. And the more we trust, especially when we feel powerless like we do now, certainly the more we'll get and the happier we'll be. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of Hanukkah and a wonderful Shabbos and Zoom in Saturday night and Sunday night with Project Shores. Happy Hanukkah. Thanks, Happy Vivi. Hanukkah. Good Shabbos. Happy Hanukkah.